Welcome to Course 28, a podcast of mental health. My name is Malik, your host, and I'm joined today by my co-host. The co-host with the most, the international Sunny G. So today we're going to get into the reason why we're here. Um, I am the author of Course 28, a memoir of mental health. Um, overall, the book covers the stigma in the Black community, um, as well as um, keeping parents accountable. <clears throat> Excuse me, I apologize. Keeping uh, parents accountable in the Black community as far as their children's well-being. Um, as well as understanding steps to take as far as going to therapy with your kids. Um, also, uh, we'll talk about avoiding medications if we can today, because that's one of the next biggest things in this program that I really wanted to focus on. Uh, so we go from there. Um, Course 28 uh, has been out since March 1st. Uh, you can find it on my website, signed at yesherites.com, uh, amazon.com, Barnes and Nobles. And you can also get the electronic version um, on Google Play Store. Uh, other than that, today we're going to get into the topic that I feel is my most important part of my advocacy, and that's again keeping parents accountable for their children's well-being, as far as living with mental illness, and again maintaining the stigma within the household. Um, and that's one thing that I want to try to get out there so we can avoid. Um, continuous suicides in our home by our children and things like that. But before we get into that, Sunny G, how you doing today, brother? Thank you very much for asking. I'm doing fantastic, man. I'm uh, I'm really ecstatic to be here. Thank you for selecting me to be your co-host on the Course 28 podcast. I received a copy from you off the courtesy of you being a guest on my podcast. Right. And I suggest, I said, your story is so great. Well, you were a guest on my podcast and you sent me a copy of the book. I was blown away. And um, I'm like, yo, you should have your own podcast. You you, you do your own uh, mental health advocacy and everything. And you're like, yo, I'll, I'll only do it if you be my co-host. And I, yeah. and I obliged, man. And I, I, yeah, much I appreciated, it, man. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Much appreciated. Um, let's do a random today. Um. What do you think about mental health in the black community? I think that mental health in the black community is just now beginning to receive the attention that has been due for quite some time. Um, I don't think mental health challenges are anything new in the black community, but I do think the awareness and the consciousness of them being a factor in society is at an all-time high. Definitely. What do you think as far as the stigma with parents? Um, because you read Course 28 and the majority of the book discusses my adoptive family on that end where they neglected me or physically abused that caused things in our household to make the mental illness worse than what it was or when I wasn't able to realize it. Um, what is your take on holding parents accountable on that end? Honestly, I don't personally know. <clears throat> Pardon me. I don't personally know about the accountability issues, but what I do know from my own personal experience is that if there were mental health challenges at times, now as an, as an older gentleman, I see that there could possibly have been mental health challenges that my peers were dealing with at the time um, in my adolescence and so forth. 
but I don't necessarily think it was addressed by the parents and a lot of the time, I mean, me knowing the culture, it's more so, I don't want to say a negligence, but almost a denial, right? almost a denial. And I think it comes from a good place. I think it's, it's from knowing that as a people, we can overcome anything and we can accomplish anything. But I do think maybe a lack of education or, or like I said prior, maybe just denial and a, and a lack of belief in the actual circumstance could possibly be a problem. Right. And I would agree with that as far as lack thereof, the understanding, but there are also a lot of parents majority from what I've witnessed that just refuse to educate themselves. Um, there are those that again, help push the stigma. Again, we talked about this on your show um, where the stigma kind of gets to the parents more than anyone else in the household, because in the black family, the man is the, the stronghold, but he's not allowed to express emotions. Um, he's supposed to remain strong. Um, expressing yourself is always the, the lesser of who the man is supposed to be. So with that, I would say there are people that are willing to try to take accountability in certain situations. Um, but from what we were raised on through generations and generations going forward, um, we're only used to men don't cry. Um, little boys, follow the father, he doesn't cry, I don't cry, those type of things. And then on top of that, you have the environment um, and it doesn't make that stigma any better because, you know, we have kids that go to like public schools that are, you know, just as worse as the neighborhoods are. Um, so you're leaving home just to go somewhere else to deal with more traumatizing situations, um, just like bullying and stuff like that in the school. Um, so with that being said, I wrote a part or a piece in my Course 28 book, and it talked about a situation where I lashed out over um things that my parents said or did physically or mentally um and this is where i say holding parents accountable because for a long time when i was growing up and i was adopted um by a family when i was about in sixth grade i believe it was and for a while they ignored the the warnings um my cries for help for about 10 plus years um, and that led up to only holding in more animosity, more hate, and more anger. So it got to the point where I felt like in 2017, they had to be held accountable. Um, and in that, my father had said something to me that had me mentally gone. He, you know, I was working on a children's book back then. Um, and he pretty much said, fuck my, my book. And in that lash out, it caused me to black out. And that blackout caused me to cause damage um, to property, house, cars, whatever was in my way at that time. And my main thing was that day, they had, you know, abused me so much, again, physically and mentally, that I felt that day was the time where I had to hold them accountable. And it wasn't in a way that, oh, take me to therapy today because it's, you know, this is how far gone I am right now. Like, I want help today. It was beyond that. So it turned into, I'd rather physically harm you. I'd rather, you know, if I could hit you with the pole that's in my hand right now, the same pole that I damaged your house and your car with. Um, after a while, you realize it's too late. 
to ask for help. Um, and especially, it's sad to say, with parents, it shouldn't be too late. There, there's always that heads up. I gave my parents a heads up. I was 13, 14 the first time I was sent into an inpatient hospital for about a week. Um, and even when my parents took me at the age of 14, somehow they had that same mindset where they couldn't acknowledge it. I was always emotional. Um, it was, you know, you're always complaining about shit and stuff like that, not knowing that they're really pushing, you know, what I need from you, which is help on the back burner right now. So that day, again, they barricaded themselves in the room. I tried everything I could to get in the room because I wasn't with the neglect anymore. Um, attacking me, calling me emotional. The more you, you know, they do that, I want to harm you. I'm not going to continue to harm myself after you are presenting your true feelings or emotions or whatever the fuck it is to make myself feel better. So now what I can do to calm myself and to get a clear mind, whether I'm blacked out or not at the moment, I'd rather kill you. And that's, they barricaded themselves in the room with a dresser. Um, and that's where it was. That's when I noticed that they started to understand, like, I'm not really too much to be played with when it comes to my mental understanding of things. You had 10 plus years to try to understand me when I was coming to you, but instead of engaging properly how you're supposed to, I was emotional. I was this, this, and that. But now we're here in front of your bedroom. I have this pole. You guys are begging me to stop. You're begging me to calm down. 20 minutes ago was fuck my book. So in that sense, I held them accountable because I felt like if I didn't get in that bedroom, man, you wouldn't be having this conversation right now. So it's, it's, it's better to try to get the understanding of what your kid needs mentally at an earlier stage because kids grow up neglecting the home and the, the, the slicing of the wrist that they grow up and want to be serial killers. They want to grow up and want to have to kill mom or dad in the home because they're still not getting it. So I try to praise myself on, again, the advocacy, which is parents being held accountable in the household because anything is possible. Um, suicides, um, Again, killing someone in the home because the child is being neglected when they're crying out for help. And with that, I think to engage more with that, we have to get our kids in therapy. We have to go to therapy with our kids to get that understanding. If we, you know, if we don't know any information, that's the first start that I would suggest. If you can't, you know, Google information, most people can't understand it through that way, call a therapist. They have a line that you can call. I can get back to you on that one later. Well, you can talk to therapists over the phone. They have a website. I got to get back to you on that one too, but I think it's called therapistme.com where you can video chat with therapists over your phone. And it's literally as little as $20. We'll do the proper research and we'll put those links in, in, the, in the show notes or the description of the video. Sounds good. Um, but then I feel like it's necessary to kind of bring that, that kind of attention besides the stigma because that's, Beating those things that can that make up the stigma are the first things that will help us get rid of it. So if we help the black parent and help the household to overcome certain things that they are not used to, that their parents didn't raise them on, which is therapy, venting, finding some form or some vice to you know get your anger, your rage out, your anxiety out. So it starts with kind of educating our parents and the parents before them 
because the kids, you know, nowadays are being raised by grandparents that, you know, taught their kids the same way that you shouldn't be emotional and stuff like that. So it starts two generations back to help these days. Um, so with that being said, I, I, I'm going to always push mental health with children. That is my number one adv advocacy. Um, the stigma at home is always going to be the biggest. And then the accountability of parents and acknowledging when their kid needs help versus, you know, just pushing them away because one, you don't have time Two, again, you're fitting the stigma that they can't vent, they can't go to therapy, they can't cry and using your emotions are just a weakness. So with that, I, I'll always push that just to make sure, you know, it's um, a hard force that's pushed to the front line so we understand more. As far as, um, now I know you said therapy would be the first step. Active therapy, that would be therapy with the child, with right. and for the child. Second would be finding a, like a, a venting place or like a recreation, a recreational or activity or extracurricular activity or exactly. an exercise regimen or something. Mm -hmm. for them to get their their uh to express themselves a way for them yeah. to express themselves whether a lot of people anger like, or go ahead sorry it, no no you're fine it's art um that helped me and i know from a lot of arthur's aspect that write memoirs and stuff like that they try to put pain into art and that is the best way i would say as an author myself that you know if you feel like and it doesn't have to be a serious situation but if your anxiety acts up Go for a walk, take a pen or a pencil with you, get some air, but most people like music. I enjoy music. Um, Janae Eagle puts me in a great mood. Luther Vandross puts me in a better mood. Um, when I feel like it's Sade, those type of things are, you know, those are my vices. I would go to when I can't breathe, my chest is heavy. There is no one here to listen to me. I need someone to talk to. So I put the headphones in, play one of those artists and I'm, I'm writing away because that's what's going to calm me down in the moment. And in most situations, we have people that go to alcohol or drugs. And because that illness is so consistent, they feel like they always need that. So then it becomes an addiction. So now you're fighting the, the illness and addiction with the mix. So I feel like the art is always going to be my you know go-to when people ask me, how do I deal with that? It's always going to be art. I like to write. I hear music. I can sit and listen to instrumentals if I want to you know, things like that. So there's always something. I don't care. You know, I've been the the most biggest dickhead that when I'm growing up, oh, I, that's not going to work for me. I don't want to do that. It, it, it's working for you, but not for me. But then I got to 27, 28 years old. And it's like, dude, these could have worked for me if I wasn't such an asshole back then and wasn't really willing to try to help myself. So again, music did help. Obviously, writing helped and it's helping others just as much as it could help anybody else. So again, art, art, art is gonna always be my push along with the regular, you know, advocacy versus trying to deal with it alone. Um, like I said, I, I, it took me years to try to find my vice, my like 10 toes down vice. Cause I tried music, I tried self-prescribing. The suicide attempts, it's, it doesn't work so you need something positive that's something that you can either turn into a hobby a career 
um, just something to do, you know, that's not keeping you in that standstill that's so sickening to you. You got to move around. You got to get uncomfortable. That's how I like to put that. So it sounds like um, art, recreation, but exposing those children to as many opportunities for art and for to expose to to exhaust these uh, these emotions. Mm-hmm. It might be music. It might be uh, painting. It might mm-hmm. be photography. It might be singing. It might be dance. It might be martial arts. Um, Cooking. Cooking, culinary arts, exactly. It's right. And kids that you you wouldn't even understand. Like this new generation of kids, smart as shit. Like they going to school for culinary arts or some kind of science class, and they're the smartest kids. But the ones that are like that have the most troubling time at home and in their life. So as long as they're able to like maintain and understand what they want, you know, even outside of the household, and if it's not supportive. They have that vice to go to. You know, if you're not at home right now, you're having like a little situation with your parents and you feel like you want to go somewhere, that child is going to take a, a paintbrush and the paintboard to brush on while they're going somewhere else because that's their vice. Like I said, when I'm angry, I'm going for a drive listening to music or I'm taking my book and my pen pad. I'm going to take myself out of the situation that's causing me to feel this way and I'm going to go write that on paper. I'm going to go paint you a picture. I'm going to go write these music notes so I can do this song for myself. Stuff like that. It's so much that they can dig into with that one vice. Music, you know, writing music turns into producer. Producer turns into owning your own, you know, stuff like that. So every vice kind of takes a kid or anybody else that has one to a different level where they can, you know, start to understand them, the mental itself and how art, again, through itself can kind of relieve a lot of pain from kids and stuff like that. So. I feel like, yeah, music, art, things like that is, I can't really speak on too much because I haven't, I haven't myself awoken to certain other aspects of things that can make me feel better. You know, traveling, a lot of people, they say when you deal with a lot of anxiety and depression, they tell you to take a trip. Um, And again, it's different for everybody. So I can't just put that on kids, you know, obviously grown folks like art, but Again, my advocacy is kids, so that's always going to be the focus. But I also forgot to tell you, today was it yesterday. Did you you check out the deluxe? Janae? Did I check out what? Janae's deluxe album. I didn't check it out. I did not check it out. I did oh, not. brother. It's, um, you know, I told you I, I write with her, so I, I listened to one song I want you to check out because it's kind of, it's piecing into my next book about mental health, but it's um. I'm gonna let you listen to it first. I'm gonna let you listen wait. to it first. I can't wait. You don't have to. Um, but other than that, I feel like we should um. At most, especially with you being my co-host, it has to be part of our advocacy as far as doing this show, where we have to push, push as much as we can. Even if it sounds like we're a fucking tape recorder after a while, the more that they hear it, the more frequent they you know receive it. I feel like it's more of an understanding to help parents take that first step always. So, yeah. I'd like to add to that. Um, And it's different. See, it's a different world with this Roni out here. And I know you don't want to take, because I would, I would suggest, you know, find out where the, um, 
like in Houston, they have the the kids science, the children's science museum is free on Thursdays. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Find those things. Take your kids out. Expose your kids to these different things. Don't just, you know, it's it's not like when I was coming up where you could play outside and it's it's safe. Like it was, it was a different time. It's different now. They snatching these kids at a different kind of rate. They're mm-hmm. kidnapping us at a different kind of rate. We're not being found. We're not being found. These babies aren't coming home at at a high enough rate for it to be substantial. Mm-hmm. So expose your kids to arts. Let them find out what they like. If yep. all they know is whatever culture that you're into, don't expect them to be any different or you know, or don't expect them to have their own. It's the envi- that's part of the environment. Allow them to to like something. Mm-hmm. You might like twerk music. They might not necessarily want to like that. Oh man, that's a oh, <laughs> that's a whole different topic. That's, that's cool, a, because man. that yeah that that that's more of a general. That's yeah, not but they, I mean, but you it still fits though because the children adapt to the environment and those you know, figures around them. And that's also mental. If you really think about it, they see it. And like kids at a certain age, they they sponge in so much. So they're growing up as a kid and they're seeing you doing this. You know, you see those parents, those females that twerk on a, you know, a a camera and their son or daughter is in the background and little kids. And that's all being sponged in. So after receiving that after a while, in most cases, when they get older, their parents do tend to neglect now you shape me into this person that you are, and now you're letting me just out to emulate me. that, emulate yeah. what I've seen. Exactly. So it's it's a it's a challenge. It always will be, but again, we just have to be accountable. We got to make the parents accountable, bro. Because suicide won't stop until you know the racial injustices stop, and then to, to handle that in a school, you know, environment. The parents have to be active at school with the teachers, with the kids. With the know. voting process at that point. at le- If you're not voting for the presidential elections, I understand that. But at least be voting for your own uh, school boards uh-huh. and your own, like, that's the type of shit you need to vote on. Yeah. yeah. That's, the type of shit. With- that's why you need to vote more so than... And I'm not, I'm, I, whatever political affiliation, whatever you choose is your choice. So I don't, uh, we don't get political on here, but I do want to say at least for your kids, vote at, vote for those things. And at, that's a small level of you being involved with your local politics. At Definitely. least if you have school age children to investigate, okay, who's running at, who's the board members of the, the board of education? Who are they? What do they stand for? Do I want my child to go to this school? Is this a healthy school? Based upon these these uh, board members. Right. And their policy. Or, or I mean, the way that they feel about certain policies. Right. But that's for the parents to, again, do the diligence before involved in your child's life. It's part of it. And it takes I mean, experience. Especially now because, you know, uh, due to the COVID-19 and the new school year, parents are going to have more time with their kids now because I know here in Wisconsin, 
it's virtual school for the first 90 days. There is no in school, nothing. It's going to be strictly over the, and there are a lot of parents that are doing homeschool. So this, I feel like the blessing of the COVID-19, this is that time to get more time with your kids that, you know, gain that understanding of what they possibly deal with while they're at school or you're at work. This is that time. So I feel like this is the perfect opportunity to take advantage and take those first steps. But it's going to drive a lot of parents crazy mentally because they're not used to having their kids as much as they have during the school year. It's going to be something different now. That's where we've seen the, um, that's where we've seen the actual super parents shine through. Some. Right. Oh, the one, the ones that are not have been exposed for sure. Oh yeah. But the, uh, it's it's harder for those to really kind of, understand that they are the one that's actually fucking up though so it's kind of that's going to be the challenge the it's ones the that just refuse exactly that's going to be the challenge not the having challenge. accountability exactly not understanding that you're putting your child more so in a daycare when you're dropping them off not as a, a not as a place for education and a place for enrichment because you're not involved with the teachers or the board or the any of that Mm-hmm. And I know I know people that actually just drop their kids off just because they need some time alone. And these parents don't work. The fuck is you dropping your kids off for? You ain't working. It's that I don't know. It's not for everybody, bro. It's really not. What being a parent? You refer? Fuck yes, yes, <laughs> yes. It's not for everybody. But again, a step at a time. It's all it takes. It took me a while, so I can't boast on here as if I'm just, I did it overnight. Never saying that. It took me 10 plus years, but at the rate that our kids are dying in home, yeah, we got to start taking some of this serious, to be honest with you. So, to get into that, I think we should get into Sunny's segment. Remember when you heard it first, this is the International Sunny G coming at you live. Thank you for joining me on Sunny Segment. Today I'm going to be talking about my first experience with mental health and mindfulness and things of that nature. On September, September 18th, 2018, I was in a fatal car accident in which I was driving with my car work, well, my co-worker was driving. Um, I was with him, we were on our way to an event. And he already drove reckless at the time. I knew that, but I didn't think it was this bad. He ended up making a dirty left turn into oncoming traffic. Uh, There was a Dodge Charger coming at like 50 miles per hour, unable to slow down. He hits the vehicle. It's a T-bone accident. I'm on the passenger side. I take a whip to the hip. I die on impact. I breathed breath into, this is a very interesting part. I breathed breath into my own lungs. I breathed life into my own self. Um, I go to take a deep breath. And I realized that my lung had been deflated. Well, during the car accident, my rib had been fractured and the fractured rib punctured the lung along with numerous other injuries I suffered. But when I, when I went to breathe life into myself, 
and I felt that my lung was deflated, I told myself, and this is where mindfulness comes in, I told myself, if you do not exercise being cool, which is what I literally told myself, but it was like, if you don't control your breathing at this current moment, you're going to die. And I began to meditate. I began to just be conscious and mindful of my breathing. And with that practice, it ultimately kept me alive and saved my life. Um, later on, after going to physical therapy and psychotherapy due to the trauma, they would tell us about healing, ways to heal, basically. Um, healing skills, COVID pain management skills. And um, one thing that I was very drawn to was the meditation and the mindfulness aspect. One reason was because that, that practice is actually what saved my life. Um, so going, going back to mental health and mindfulness and the awareness of your state of health is very important. Um, when I was at my worst point, which is probably, which is the year 2019, late 2018, early 2019, I was taking pain pills, mixing pain pills with other painkillers and alcohol. And I was in a state of depression and the consciousness of my mental health and knowing that instinctively I not only meditated, but I instinctively kept myself alive through mindfulness. So it's very important. Meditation is very important. And being mindful of your state of mind is also very important. So I guess I'll leave you guys with that. Thank you very much. This has been another segment of Sunny's segments. Peace. And closing today, we're going to go over small things. Um, the next topic that we'll get into our next show is um, focusing more so on my future releases. I do have a couple of children's books that are to be released August 2020. Um, Kaliana Says, uh, it's a two-part book um, that we'll get into a little more in detail our next episode for the kids. Um, that whole series will focus on mental health, how to help our kids overcome things in the household if the parent isn't there. She also takes kids through the steps on how to handle anxiety, depression, being bullied at school. So we'll get into that a little more our next episode, um, as well as um, Course 28 as well will be in two months. One, two. Course 28 will have a deluxe. I haven't announced this yet. This will be the first time. It will have a deluxe a deluxe chapter. I'll just be releasing it as an electronic version, though. And that'll be coming the first week of October. Um, other than that, this is definitely the first show, um, Course 28, a podcast of mental health. Um, again, if you would like a copy of that book, you can go to Amazon. Yes, yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> Amazon.com, YesCWrites.com for a signed copy, Barnes and Nobles, or Google Play for your electronic version. And one more thing before we get out of here, I am working on my first urban fiction novel. 
entitled Transference. Yes, sir. And you could be looking for that in the next couple of months as well. This is Course 28, a podcast of mental health. I am your host, Malik Mayo, and I'm joined today by my co-host. Co-host with the most, the international Sunny G. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming. Peace.